host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron today's episode, Rita's mom comes for a visit. We continue to look for the Bay Harbor Butcher, who we all as an audience know who that is. Um, Dexter spends some more time with his new sponsor, and uh, Dokes has a case instead of just following Dexter around. What do you guys think of this episode overall? Not one of my favorites. I just thought it was kind of bland. I didn't think there was a lot going on. I just didn't find it very interesting. Nothing really stood out to me. I mean, there were a couple, of course, you know, key scenes that we'll get to. But all in all, I thought it was a flat episode. Yeah. Okay. I uh, I mean, overall, as an episode, I think it was fine. It wasn't really, like, anything flashy or stand out. But I did have an uh, sort of like an aha moment about the series in this episode. Uh, did you notice Russell Brand? After, yes, it was. It was a Russell. It was like, oh, it's got it. They got Russell Brand in there so soon. Um, no, but oddly <laughs> enough, it was actually uh, the girl who plays Lila. Kind of was the reasoning of my like aha moment. I was like, oh, the way she broke it down, or the way you know that it's written. I was like, man, this really sums up like what the show is about. It's not about Dexter being a serial killer or, uh, you know, like a lot of what the show seems to be about for face value. It's more about the fact that um, uh, that everybody has these problems, everybody has secrets, everybody deals with them differently, and everybody like everybody's fucked up to some degree. And like I, I was just, I don't know. There was something about the way that this episode was written that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is another episode where, uh, you know, that first time and a half or two times that I watched it, um, I was fascinated by the Lila character. Uh, this is the episode where she starts doing sort of hinky things like running around and stealing quote-unquote art supplies, um, that kind of stuff. The The big payoff moment or the big happening in this episode uh, is a La Guerta thing and we don't have very many of those so it was kind of nice I thought that they uh, kind of you know kept things at like a 6 out of 10 level for most of the episode so that she could have that 10 out of 10 moment at the end um, and just completely surprise everybody I thought the episode was just fine um it wasn't anything to write home about. It moves the story forward. It was serviceable. Okay. Serviceable is a fair word. I would go with that. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we liked it, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your own. So, uh, Rita is scouring the floor because her mother is coming to visit. She says that her mother is a very strong woman. Dexter says, "I'll keep that in mind in case they need any heavy lifting." Uh, Cody complains to Rita about the heat and says he's been having nightmares. Dexter asks if it's ghosts or a crocodile, but Cody says it's the Bay Arbor Butcher. Dexter says the Bay Arbor Butcher would never hurt you. My sister Deb says that he only hurts bad people. And Rita hopes that they catch him and says, I'm not a violent person, but I hope they I hope they hurt him. Have a nice day. Dexter internally says, Well make up your mind. Yeah, uh, 
this is more, you know, we get more Rita stuff here. I think it's funny how she's, like, trying to present this life to her mother. You know, we'll get more mother stuff later, but definitely that. And then the Cody thing I thought was funny, too, because I just pictured old Cody coming. <laughs> <laughs> You're always I can't projecting get him out of my old head. Cody. I can't get him out of my head. And so I really was like, oh, man, what if old Cody was here? What would he say? Old Cody trying to get through those, like, five lines or whatever it is. Just not happening. Yeah, that would have taken 20 minutes. They would have had to boil it down to something like, Bay Harbor Butcher, scary. Say what you will about old Cody. He has made an impact. <laughs> Jumped the true up. acting genius. <laughs> uh, I think the, I think the reverse is why he's made him an impact. Right, but I mean, you remember him. <laughs> he's he's more of a an acting idiot savant, I would say. He, so he's the Tommy Wiseau of yeah. Dexter. He's he's <laughs> the rain actors. the rain man of Dexter. There you go. Um. So then. Uh, Rita's mother shows up. She's being passive-aggressive about not being invited for such a long time. Rita pushes back that she never liked Paul. Uh, Dexter gets to Rita's and meets her mom. Dexter's approach to parents is to treat them like aliens. And there's this whole sequence where he keeps like, reacting internally to what she's saying and doing as if she were from another planet. That was a weird sequence. I didn't like that. That was so weird. <laughs> Your customs are strange. Uh, Rita's mom points out that Cody isn't eating. She also says that the if the Bayara Butcher only kills bad people, she says let him stay at it. So, uh, yeah, she's a uh, she's the worst. <laughs> I was sitting here. I was like, why can't she? Why can't she be like a murderer so Dexter can take care of her too? Because she's you know, so she, annoying. Joe Beth Williams, who is who I will always think of as the mom from Poltergeist, I'm sure she appreciates that with her varied career, but that's what yeah. she is to me. She is so good at playing that role, that passive-aggressive, like simmering menace under the surface kind of mother character. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that her personality is such a shift from Rita's personality. Um like Rita is just so optimistic and uh, and light and you know just kind of finding herself like she's if anything she's too passive and she's kind of coming out of that but she didn't like she doesn't ever pull passive aggressive on Dexter or anything so it's it's interesting but you know I think her mom the way her mom is is what created her to be the way she is is that you know she would always go along with the flow and that's how she got into the abuse and you know she she was kind of created by by becoming the opposite of what she was raised by because she had to be passive to deal with somebody who was so aggressive yes yeah, so she's just worn down huh yeah makes sense um and then we get one more uh scene with Rita's mom uh, at the end where Dexter casually tells Rita that he misjudged Lila and he's going to stay with her. Uh, Rita's mom has made Cody a butcher man costume 
Dexter makes Cody fly. Rita tells Rita's mom tells Rita that Dexter is quite an actor that he's hiding something. Which, as uh, an audience, we know what he's really hiding. What Rita thinks is that he's hiding his addiction to narcotics, and uh, mother doesn't really know what it is but she's just you know she's just there to drive the wedge between Rita and Dexter yeah it's funny because she does say that she's pro Bay Harbor Butcher at one point so for her to sort of be seemingly uh, intrigued by Dexter's performance or behavior in what he's hiding it's like well if she knew would she still be okay with it? Or would she still be okay with her, him and, and her, her daughter's relationship? I mean, you know, it's kind of one of those things where we as the audience are way more privy to all of these things. Um, but I think the, the writing is interesting how they put these little notes in to where like, oh, okay, she said this thing, but now she's saying this thing. Um, but yeah, she's one hell of a mom. And she's another person for us to worry about getting the Paul treatment. <laughs> if she goes too far mm. with Dexter true so i'd be okay with that <laughs> same <laughs> which it, so it, it's like uh oh is it like harry's code but like harry's code 2.0 right like where he doesn't uh he doesn't go all he doesn't go full tilt he just gets him locked up well like for her mom uh because like her mom would be pretty hard to get imprisoned forever like she's not a third striker or anything like that he'd have to get her mom like trumped up on some kind of uh, as like a registered sex offender so she couldn't go back to teaching. <laughs> <laughs> kind yeah. of disturbed by how much you've thought about this. Well, I mean... <laughs> I mean, what's coming up with ideas. What can't teachers do? That's one of the things that... <laughs> it's true. They can't do. I can teach, I but I have to be- do it by Skype very, very far away from the school. Yeah. She could be caught selling drugs to the kids. <laughs> <laughs> She'd slowly become Paul over time, and yeah. Does the code of Harry have like a in-law clause? <laughs> yeah, f- it should. Yeah, I feel like it should. It's an important thing to think about. Um, so uh, this next plot line is the Bay Harbor Butcher uh, investigation. Miami Metro, Lundy's giving a briefing. The bodies were all people who were at least once suspected of murder. Matthews wants to release the information to the press so that people will rest easier. Masuka walks by with a promising lead. Dexter gets concerned and decides he needs to visit his sponsor. Uh, Lundy meets with his team in the tent morgue. He asks each each team member to pick out a body. Angel chooses a guy who doesn't match. He has no criminal record. And uh, Deb is able to figure out that another of the bodies was suspected of murdering uh, their parents. Deb tells Dexter about Masuka's LJ plan to determine where the bear or butcher keeps his boat. Dexter thinks that LJ must come from where he dumped the bodies, not where he moors. But he thinks he's missing something and he doesn't like that he's missing something. Uh, Angel is discussing his victim, the last holdout without a suspected criminal past with an ex of kin. She isn't giving him anything. He pisses her off and she leaves Miami Metro. 
Uh, Dexter asks Masuka about the algae. He doesn't understand Masuka's answers. And then Dexter's worried about the tent morgue. Angel makes some remark about needing to go before he melts, which gives Dexter an idea to let the bodies melt somehow. And Angel goes back to the next of kin lady to apologize. He tells her how hard it is to deal with it. His only way to get through it was to believe that in some way each of the bodies must have deserved it. The woman finally tells Angel that her late husband kept guns hidden in the walls. Uh, Dexter jumps the fence into Miami Metro's parking lot to break the AC unit for the tent and pin it on the garbage service by positioning a dumpster near the break. And the last scene of the episode, the marine biologist finally arrives to check on the algae, but all the body, bodies have been decomposed uh, by the lack of AC. And Dexter consoles Masuka about losing the bodies, and Masuka says it's okay. They still have the rocks. It was the rocks used down to weigh the bodies that likely came from the Bay Harbor Butchers Marina. Dun, 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 dun. Maybe I'm overthinking things a little bit here, but... So, they say the garbage person is who broke the AC. They're detect... I know they're Miami Metro, but the <laughs> FBI's involved. Wouldn't somebody think, like, is it not possible that maybe the killer set this up? So to destroy evidence. <laughs> There's so many problems with Dexter being able to do what he does in this episode. Right. Yeah. Like, if this is an FBI case and there's that many bodies, it's a 24-hour... Uh, it's a 24-hour operation. There's certainly going to be guards there. Um, there's. You mean they don't just shut down so everybody can go home and go to bed? Yeah. Miami Metro might do that, but not when there's a <laughs> right. like FBI case going on like that. And the uh, FBI should be, like, they should have taken over security of that lot. They should at least have, you know, cameras and all that kind of stuff there. Like, there's like eight different ways that Dexter should have been caught before he was able to do what he did. And there yeah. was just nobody there. I, I thought for a hot second after he hopped over the fence he was going to go, this is easy, a little too easy because <laughs> it's uh he gets it's like you know, he says i i've I never imagined I, just, I i see myself breaking into the place where i work but like that that line is the same it makes the same thing it's a little too easy right like yeah i don't know well, i guess he, when you're writing these things actually say that like i thought he said he does, something to the effect of i shouldn't be able to just do this and then he does it no he says uh I never imagined myself breaking into where I work. Right, yeah. And he goes over the fence. But, like, this is the point where, like, Scooby-Doo would be able to figure out what Dexter did. Like... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's too much. That that whole thing is too much. It's yeah. a smart idea. It's just not executed very well. Like, there should right. have been some more interesting way to... Uh, to have him pull that off or, you know, mess up something on the on a truck and have it actually be something that the dumpster does. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, not uh, not the greatest moment in in Dexter writing history. So, no, um, I do want to back up to the um, angel stuff because I think it's like um, 
it's interesting. I mean, obviously he's using different tactics, uh, but he's not that he doesn't use that woo woo shit on the woman when he's talking to her. He's pretty blunt and forceful, and he's like, you know, I I know he's there's something you're just not telling me or this thing or that thing, and she's like, we're done. And then he goes to visit her, and then of course he like changes his his tune when he goes to visit her. But man, when she's like, I can show you the guns in the walls, I was like, he's gonna get laid. Yep. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she, like she's bringing. And so there's, it's like Miami Metro cannot keep their dirty, grubby hands out of anything. It's everything is like just so messed up. I was like, <laughs> I think he went there knowing that he's like. I don't know. I bet I could probably go figure this out, but also maybe give myself some of La Passion. So yeah, he's <laughs> guns in the walls is a euphemism for something. Well, he's all right? he's all frustrated the first time he's talking to her, and like that makes sense because they had to talk to those like hundreds of people that were out there or whatever. And then he comes up with a different strategy, which is to basically go like, you know, I can't make this any worse than it already is for us but I just wanted to let you know like how I'm feeling about it and I don't think I I, I think her inviting him in the way she did and the way that she did as Zach is saying like I don't think that was like in his wildest dreams what he thought was going to happen for him but uh, he may indeed have introduced her to Stabtista <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I see what you did uh, there. Sad Tista needed a win, and so bringing Stab out Tista is is good. Is good. He he needed that release. Yeah, it's the one without the hat. Um. So uh, the next uh, plot line here is Dexter and Lila. Uh, Dexter ends up at Lila's where she is welding together some terrible art. Uh, Dexter, regarding some of it, says, why are they eating each other? And Lila says, ask them. I'm like, oh, Russell Brand, that's what he'd say. Um, (laughs) Lila hits a chain post on purpose, and Dexter helps her steal it. Then she stops and steals several wind chimes. She reveals that she's never sponsored anyone before. Lila asks Dexter why he uses. Dexter says, I'm a bad person. Lila says, you haven't got the first idea of who you are. There's a flashback to Dexter overhearing his adoptive parents talking about his psychological problems, and Dexter is called away from Lila to uh, the crime scene that is Doak's storyline for this episode. So this is our our introduction into uh, Lila is not quite so stable. I mean, it's found art is an unforgivable sin anyway. So stealing the stuff and then making found art definitely qualifies her for the Bay Harbor butcher treatment. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it, do, it does seem like she there... There's uh, First of all, I just want to point out that the, the whole like artist facade, I think it's like sometimes people call themselves artists, but they really just don't know what their direction in life is. And so, to like, it's just like, they're like, oh, I'm an artist. I just put stuff together. It's no big deal or whatever. And you're like, no, you just don't understand how the world works, which is fine. But, you know, don't try to pass it off as art, please. Yeah, it's uh, like, cause it's there's, <laughs> there's Jackson Pollock, and then there are people dripping paint on canvas. 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and there's so, only one uh, thing they could have made, Lila. They only could have made her an artist. There's nothing absolutely. else they would have done with that. Yeah. That's yeah, what that's it, it is, yeah. Dale. You pick up that she's a dirty hippie. <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> what's that's what Russell Brand is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the, the mannequins thing I thought was interesting. The fascination, or at least the, the abundance of mannequins in her art space, quote unquote. Uh, it, it, it's like interesting because it does have such a connection to the ice truck killer and to Dexter. Um, you know, there's just a lot of symbolism there. So I think like the choice to use the mannequins was a good choice in terms of like the production of uh, and, and the storytelling aspect of it. But like, yeah, I'm not buying her whole art scheme. Yeah, I, I always thought. I mean, yeah, artist is a, is a fairly easy thing to to pawn off on her. Um, I kind of, kind of uh, expected it to play out that she was someone who said they were an artist and was actually just a trust fund baby, because um, mm-hmm. she reeks of that too. Um, but uh, yeah, she's she's a a walking reminder of the solid old school advice of uh, never fuck crazy. So. Yeah. I don't think girls got that advice. I had never mm. heard that before. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> that must be a boy thing. Yeah, I think I think specifically <laughs> the phrasing is don't put your dick into crazy. So. Okay, yeah. I think so it that's is probably a, why I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's a, I think that's a Captain Matthews uh, bumper sticker. <laughs> he has that on like a on a wristband around his around his arm to remind him. Yeah. Can I get that on a T-shirt? Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, Dexter tells Rita how Lila was a bit odd, and that it's her first time being a sponsor. Rita suggests finding someone else, someone older and manly. <laughs> this doesn't work, of course. Uh, Dexter and Lila are having a conversation. He tells her that he's afraid they're done, and there's a flashback to Harry teaching Dexter how to answer every question the opposite of the way he really feels. He uses this to breeze through an interview with a therapist. Uh, Dexter leaves Lila and thanks her. But then, later, when he's uh, on his way from the talking to Dokes toward the tent morgue he finds her parked outside and she tries to make the case that no one is good or evil she mocks him she says oh I'm a monster I can't be helped and Dexter says you don't believe in evil I'll show you evil and takes her into the tent morgue he opens a body bag Lila's super excited and asks if she can touch Uh, Dexter's confused he says you're not disgusted Lila says it's incredible the person who did this is a person just like me we're all good and we're all evil. Dexter is amazed that she isn't revolted by what is actually his work. And the flashback goes back to Harry telling Dexter that he did a good job of hiding the monster inside him. This is in contrast to Lila's assertion that there are no monsters. And Dexter is now convinced. He takes her back. She hugs him and kisses him on the mouth. So, Dale, I'm actually pretty curious about how you feel of the introduction of the term Dark Passenger. Uh, which I think it was uh, it was introduced in the last episode or this episode. She uses it a couple times. They've said it before. They said it in season one as well. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, it has been said before, um, and 
it does appear every once in a while through the show, but in the show, it's always... Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of the shadow self. It's like a Freudian uh, psychological term about how there's a shadow self who's sort of the opposite of who you are that is also part of your personality. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how they treat the dark passenger with... Uh, with the show Dexter, with how how he refers to it, um, he talks about it to psychologists. I want to say he and Rudy have a conversation that that revolved around the Dark Passenger, but uh, yeah, they have used it a couple of times before. It's in the books where it is uh, an actual presence that he has conversations with that I have a problem with. Right, yeah, and I just didn't know if that, you know, like, I was just trying to get how your feeling was between, you know, because we know in the books you're definitely not a fan of the way that that is used. So, like, them just sort of, like you're saying, introducing it as as the Freudian way of being the shadow thing, you're, you're good with that? Yeah, I don't think they actually say it enough on the show for it to actually stick as something that you remember if you had never read the books. And so, mm-hmm. like... My first time watching through, I, th- I think I watched, I probably watched the first four seasons before I read the book, um, you know, something along those lines, but I read it somewhere in the middle of when the series was airing, and so these earlier references to it, I don't even re- really remember them talking about it like that, but mm-hmm. yeah, so it's it's not it's not that big of a deal, uh, it's just, you know, if, if in season seven all of a sudden he's got, you know ghost Dexter that he talks to then I'd really like <laughs> I'd just flip the table over and stop watching forever <laughs> nice going yeah. going back to an earlier note we made um, for what the fuck Dexter moments um, he took a civilian in and let her touch evidence in an FBI investigation yeah she did have gloves on, but yeah. Well, and he got busted by Lundy when he was in there earlier this episode, so it's weird that, like, when they decide it's okay for him to just completely mess with the tent and when it's not. Because the rest of the episode, he can just mess with the tent all he wants. <laughs> yeah. I think this whole sequence is, uh, again, like, a, a, um, for me, this was sort of like uh, this, and then something that happens in the Dokes uh, storyline um, is like an aha moment where uh, now we're, we're really seeing, like, we, you know, we've kind of been alluding to the fact that, like, Rita has problems, and Deb has problems, and LaGuerta has problems, and Dokes has problems. Everybody has problems, but, like, really now it's coming out to the point where it's not the core cast anymore. And we're spreading out the fact that everybody we're meeting in Dexter's life or everybody that's coming into contact with Dexter also are still, are, they're all fucked up too. They're all messed up. Everybody's got something, a secret that they're hiding or a, a, a secret part of them that they don't want the world to see or whatever. And right. so again, this is like, the, this episode is like, oh, this show is so much deeper than the face value of just Dexter doing Dexter. You know? Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting too that like, you know, the technical antagonist for Dexter of this season is Frank Lundy. You know, it's not, uh, it's not like it was with the Ice Truck Killer. It, it's not something that he's 
helping Miami Metro figure out. It's something that Miami Metro is actually against him. And so giving him these other people to interact with, uh, both his other murder victims and Lila, um, gives him some interesting development uh, that, you know, we just... We wouldn't have it was just him sitting in his lab waiting to see if Lundy could figure out who it was. So, yeah, Dokes uh, has this case. He's finally got something to do other than just follow Dexter around everywhere. Uh, Dexter figures out that the body was shot twice in the heart and once in the head. Dokes knows this is a triple tap, which means that her husband, the suspect, was special ops. Uh, Dokes gets the lead on the husband and delivers a report. Uh, Dexter delivers a report. The three shots were fired in less than a second. It was a very, very skilled shooter. Um, Dokes uh, heads out to uh, meet up with the suspect's friend and downplays the need for backup with LaGuerta. He goes to meet his contact on the boat, the SS Fubar, which got a chuckle out of me. Uh, the contact turns out to be Curtis Barnes, the suspected killer himself. He admits to killing his wife. Dokes draws his gun, and so does the suspect. And then a bunch of scenes happen, and we go right back to them holding their guns at each other. So it feels like they've been holding their guns at each other for a couple of hours at this point. Um, they're still drawn down. Uh, he appeals to the bond between rangers. Dokes said that if he weren't a ranger, he would have shot him by now. The suspect talks about wives of rangers that don't know how to deal with PTSD and end up just leaving you. Doak says he left his wife because he was afraid that if he didn't, he would kill her. So rather than go to prison, uh, the suspect commits suicide by cop and Doak's whispered, motherfucker. And it, another great Doak's moment. You get the, the, the touching moment where he's talking about his wife. The, that character depth and then follows it up with a motherfucker. You, yeah. But you see all the respect that he has for him because every time he orders him to do something or tells him what's going to happen, he doesn't use the word asshole. That's true. <laughs> that's yeah. how you can tell he respects him. Yeah. That's true. true. And that's just another totally. another thing of Dokes growing as a character. <laughs> <laughs> this, um, yeah, this sequence in particular, I think, you know, is like, it's it's good Doke's development, we get to see a little bit more into the life of, or the or sort of how the prior life of it was, because he's like, I was special ops. He breaks that down a little bit more, what that means, um, which I think people are always curious. Also, I think this was around the time where this was coming out right around when we were still doing like Iraq war stuff, or not Iraq war stuff, but like, yeah, right? Like Bush era Iraq war stuff. So it's possible that Dokes could have been had a couple of tours in Iraq or Afghanistan or something like that, I think is what he's alluding to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, which is like, you know, so I, I think it's just, it, it puts heart into the episode, which is really nice um, when we're talking about soldiers and what they go through. And, you know, it, it's such a subplot. It doesn't even really make a difference, but I, I enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed the moment between Dokes and the, and the guy he ends up having to shoot just because they they're just honest with one another and uh, you know and like the guy's just like yeah i killed her you know like it's just you don't get that a lot in shows people try to go the roundabout way of doing things and i don't know i just really liked this 
this whole thing. It, it was silly that they cut. I did think the edit was weird. I agree with you, Dale. Like it's like, <laughs> oh wow, what a, what a way to come back on a jump edit from this to that. But whatever, <laughs> let's well, finish this scene. <laughs> well, I think uh, at one point, Doak says he can do this all day. Which yeah, he know, does. At that point, you feel like they have been. <laughs> so yeah. And he's like, let's take the boat out. Let's go to Cuba. <laughs> he's so like, funny. not going to happen. Yeah. But he doesn't say not going to happen, asshole, which is what he would say to anybody else. So they, they do exactly. have this respect. And that's why the guy just flat out tells him that he killed his wife. It's like, this guy's a ranger. He already knows what's going on. and Yeah. They gave each other the, the benefit of the doubt there. But then he does make Dokes kill him, so... Oh, the other thing I was thinking of too was when I watched it was, uh, why do, why do police officers or detectives always shoot the suspect in the chest? Like, he could have easily shot him in the shoulder. The guy would have probably dropped the gun or been affected by it, and then you know he's still, I guess he's still a threat because he knows he's a ranger. I don't know. Like maybe it's circumstantial, but isn't that the thing though? Like you always see him shoot the person in the chest or the head, and never just like in a non-life-threatening way. I actually have, have wondered that, and I don't remember how I found this out. I don't know if I Googled it or some, but from what I was told somewhere or researched is they go for the area of the most mass where they're most likely to connect. Yeah. So that's police why they are go trained, the chest. Police are trained for the center mass. So um, they're not necessarily um, aiming for the heart. They're just aiming to hit somewhere in the torso because it's the largest target that's facing them sure it's a lot easier to miss an arm or a head yeah but yeah i feel right. yeah dokes has the abilities though that's the I thing like if anybody dokes could have made that choice they're about three feet apart on this boat and um you know dokes could have dokes could have triple tapped him i think if he wanted to but he didn't want to so and also keep in mind they have the same shooting ability because they have the same kind of training. So, you know, if you have a chance to hit first, hit first. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that guy just needed to be done with the episode, and that's why it happened that way. I would <laughs> say that it just serves the plot to do that, um, as opposed to him like being shot in the head or something like that, which would have been uh, an unnecessary effects budget thing. So, Yeah. I mean, this wasn't uh, one of those uh, who shot first, Han or Guido. Like, it was just like, oh, Han definitely shot first. No, I mean, he was committing he suicide by cop. He wasn't going to fire on Dose. Right. He, he just right, made right, it right, to where right, yeah. he couldn't not fire at him. So, uh, Which leads us to the, uh, the final plot thread here, which uh, is all about Pascal and LaGuerta. Uh, Pascal asks Dexter into her office to ask him to test some clothing. There's no blood on it. Dexter says, no blood. I'm really the blood guy. Pascal says it has the smell. The smell of a woman. Dexter says, which part? Uh, Pascal says, you can identify this for me. And Dexter says, that's really Masuka's thing. He's your man. And then Dexter muses on other ways to slow Masuka down, maybe sending hookers and pizza to his house. Uh, so... Uh, the next thing with her laundry here is she has a bit of a meltdown over the clothing 
uh, in the middle of the floor. She dresses down Masuka for failing to detect the smell. And then to everyone and no one says, this man, meaning her ex or her fiancé or whatever, is ruining my life and you all act like nothing's happening. LaGuerta leads her out of the room back into her office and Dexter says, like they always say, never take your dirty laundry to work. Grown. Matthews comes to LaGuerta about Pascal's meltdown. Matthews is impressed that she still stands up for Pascal and he gives LaGuerta her job back. Matthew says, Pascal just set the women in this department back 20 years. It's up to you to fix it. And we later see LaGuerta uh, all cozied up in a bed in camisole watching news footage about the Bay Arbor Butcher. Looks like she's alone, but she says this has to be the last time. Turns out she's not alone. She's been sleeping with Pascal's fiance this entire time. She (gasps) She tells him to go back to Pascal, and she says he always knew what this was. And then, like, completely snaps on him. Uh, because he calls her out on what she's doing, and she's like, "You're the one that's sleeping with another woman." Like, yeah, it's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's dirty. he's he's dirty he's the one in the wrong. Um, she she needed a strategic advantage, mm-hmm. and this woman was like some kind of hero cop from Haiti, and. This was her her way to do it. Just it, the whole thing, and you know, last episode I was like, okay, Laguerta, I'm I'm kind of on your side. You're you're trying to be, you know, you're trying to be pro woman. Look out for the other women, and then nope. <laughs> it's all betrayal. To be fair, Esme or Pascal or whatever we're calling her, she's obviously completely psychotic to melt down the way she did. It was a little bit over the top, so she probably shouldn't have a job where she's allowed to have a gun anyway. Uh, but, yeah, she she wasn't that hard to push over the edge, really. But, yeah, LaGuerta, she's an awful person, just like we've always thought. I mean, it's this is a sustained campaign that she's been working since the end of last season when she got replaced. She's been figuring she's out... committed. She, she, well, and she does the opposite of what Pascal does, right? So Pascal is told not to uh, listen to LaGuerta to, you know, give her a hard time by Matthews. And Pascal offers the truce, and LaGuerta's like, thank you, that's, that's very nice of you, and accepts the truce, but then does everything behind her back to undermine her and get rid of her, except uh, take the easy path with Matthews and and talk shit about her. So she really does a masterful job of um, outmaneuvering Pascal and just wrecking her. She is brilliant at destroying people to get her way. She's terrifying. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, a couple things with with this uh, plotline um i thought it was very funny when she was yelling in the breakdown moment of being like you know this man's destroying my life and you all go about like nothing else is happening because yeah nobody else is not affecting anybody else except for (laughs) you know you're crazy so i just loved i just loved that line (laughs) and like nothing else is happening except maybe this (laughs) prolific serial killer the biggest serial killer ever (laughs) yeah 
So I thought that was great. I just thought it was a great fun moment. I mean, it's not fun because it's heartbreaking, but in, for the show, it was apt. And I then... Went, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I went back to watch just to see if they tried to sneak something in there for repeat viewers, and I didn't see it, but I was I was just looking for them to have some reaction shot from LaGuerta when she starts talking about the smell because yeah it's LaGuerta and yeah but they don't they don't do it like they don't want to give the 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 game away yet yeah so that actually brings me to my second point which is how did Masuka not take one whiff of that and go oh that's LaGuerta (laughs) (laughs) Oh god, that's like, so true though. You're so right that you would have. Oh right? man. Yeah, you're fucking right. Masuka. Of course. So I was I was disappointed in in the in that, but I get why they didn't do it, because yes, they did need the reveal at the end of the episode. But still. <laughs> I want he you knew. to be wrong, but I know you're right. He's a panty sniffing dog. Yeah. Oh. He's so disgusting. <laughs> He's so gross. <laughs> Because uh, he was doing that lab coat thing. Remember when he was putting the lab coat? He was teaching the new tech girl or whatever. Yeah. And even that was creepy and weird and just like God, Masuka, you're all ugh. Yeah, I can. All even, the time. I can. He'd uh, have to take lines from uh, from some Frank Zappa song like, uh, "Well, to be honest with you, there's three things that smell like fish. One of them oh. is fish." Uh, I think we get the other two. <laughs> I'll let you look up what the other two are. <laughs> so yes, uh, Lundy begs off working later hours with Deb because he has a date. He advises Deb to do the same, be better balanced. Uh, Deb is at the gym making eyes at the same guy on the lumbar machine. He comes over and introduces himself. She invites him out for a drink, which immediately leads to sex. Uh, she says, stop talking and take your pants off. She handcuffs him and says, the last guy I had sex with tried to kill me. Dexter comes home. He thinks that Deb is on the treadmill, but she's having sex in his bed. They talk about it the next morning. Dexter assures her all he saw was shadows. Um, I would have to burn my apartment to the ground if <laughs> one of my siblings had sex in my bed. Yeah, you'd think there'd be a lot more to say there. Yeah. I think I've... I, th- I think I've, d- I've definitely had sex in my brother's bed. I don't know if he's ever had sex in my bed. Yeah. <laughs> brothers may be different. Brothers may be a different thing. Yeah, I think it's brothers and sisters. It's a different thing, probably. Yeah. Right. The, the dynamic of the relationship. Yeah. Um, I mean, good good for Deb, though. Like, just keeping the hot dog stand open. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the grand Never reopening. Closes. Oh, this is the grand reopening. It's been closed since the end of the last episode, the end of last season. <laughs> since the end That's of last right. episode, sounds so much yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, like, she's like the Bob's Burgers. It's like Bob's Burgers re reopening of Deb's dog, hot dog stand. <laughs> uh, Deb tells Lundy she took his advice and got laid big time. Lundy says, "Oh, well." Deb says, I don't usually go to the gym and pick up strangers. Lundy says, the gym. Deb says, you got to put me out of my misery here. I'm about to go outside and shoot myself. Lundy says, well, at the rate you're going right now, you'll probably miss. Uh, Lundy reveals that his date was horrible. 
He says that a once in a lifetime relationship only happens once and he's already had his. Um, and then the, uh, the final piece of that there is that Deb runs into her date from earlier and invites him on a real date like where they go to dinner and talk about stuff and he agrees so I don't mind this interaction between them because I think they play well off of each other in terms of chemistry but it's almost unfortunate where it's like same old Deb you know like you finally get some progress and some uh, character development for Deb and she's she's trying to you know, do better. She's gone through this traumatic thing, and then they're just like right back into it, where she just like can't get it right, or says the wrong thing, or hooks up with the wrong guy, or you know, it's almost it's like it's like an unfortunate situation uh, where she's like ta- it's almost like she's talking to an uncle and being like, you know, help me out, and he's like, I you're the one digging yourself deeper into this hole. Uh huh. there's a joke there somewhere there's a joke there somewhere I I think it's a it's a net positive for her that you know um, to no pun intended get back on the horse kind of thing Um, so many puns tonight (laughs) that uh, you know I think it's a good thing that she does it the blunt ridiculous dub way of they sleep together immediately and then she decides whether or not she wants to have an actual date with them and this guy seems to be into that so there's no and that didn't bother me so much um but i do agree with zach about her being a bumbling idiot to lundy like she's shown this professional growth you know personal life do what you want be a hot dog stand but um, you're talking to your new boss and you're like I got laid big time and you here you've built up a little bit of credibility and then you just flushed it yeah she she like doesn't understand how to talk to people <laughs> like in a general <laughs> way um, and it, it, it's it's still that thing of um, like from season one where she was not always necessarily like angry at Masuka but just sort of expecting the Masuka thing and um, on occasion would, would deal it right back like she has that sort of um, girl in a boys club sort of mentality of you know this is how it has to be and so this is the way I talk about things yeah she'll she'll find her way out eventually right I mean she has to right sure We've seen the whole series, so uh, <laughs> I'm going with I'm going with yes. Oh, Deb. So um, this episode was directed by Nick Gomez. Uh, it was his first of two. He also directs season two, episode six, and comes back as a uh, a hitman. He stars as a hitman in two episodes of season eight. Uh, his previous work was a 1995 film called New Jersey Drive that competed for a grand jury prize at that year's Sundance. And after Dexter, he's probably best known for playing prison inmate Tomas on the third season of The Walking Dead. Uh, the writer of this episode was Scott Buck. This is his first written episode, so two first-time guys on this. Uh, he previously wrote on Six Feet Under, Rome, Everybody Loves Raymond, Coach, and the Oblongs. And uh, he 
is the showrunner for Dexter for season six through eight. This being his first written episode, he wrote a total of three episodes each for seasons two through five and two episodes each for seasons six through eight. And after Dexter, uh, he wrote and created the Marvel Netflix Inhumans miniseries as well as their Iron Fist series. Um, wow. Scott- this speaks a lot about him. Yeah. So, right. Scott Buck. Welcome to Scott Buck. Um, yeah. Holy moly. Mm. I gotta say, though, I everybody hates on Iron Fist. I liked it. Okay. I just... <laughs> wait until you I get to season I, six through eight, and you'll see how you really wait, feel Wait until he's the showrunner, because it... Yeah. It shows. Um, I believe the yeah. Reddit... I believe the Reddit community around... Uh, around his run on the show is called Fuck Scott Buck with Joe Buck. So <laughs> that should give you a little bit of an idea of how people feel about him. But yep, this is our, wow. our first taste of him. And I think I remember that uh, most people were not happy with this episode at the beginning when we were talking about it overall. So uh, not an auspicious beginning for him. But uh, interesting. Who would we want to say is the uh, gets the best line of the episode? I actually really like Lundy's line about um, wanting experiencing one love in his life. The uh, you have one great love, and he'd already had his. I really like that line. Sad Tista. <laughs> Sad Lundy. I went the opposite direction, and I went with uh, Deb, the last guy I had sex with, tried to kill me. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Um, mine actually came from the guy who uh, Dokes ended up uh, shooting the um, Curtis, what's his name? Yeah. Um, but uh, he says that, uh, and you know, you go to the doctor, but you know, but you stop going because you know there ain't no kind of help for this kind of fucked up. Yeah, I was, I was just like, yeah. I was like, oh god, that's so true. Like, what a line. Uh, how about worst line of the episode? Lila, Lila saying, uh, uh, "Well, ask them what they're ask them what it means." Yeah, ask them. Yeah, I put um, uh, Matthew's line. Uh, Pascal just set back women in the department 20 years it's up to you to turn it around i mean it's not like it's the worst like it's not worse as in it's a bad line it's the worst it's like the worst thing you could say to someone just because matthews is a an ass um i went with deb saying i got laid big time (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was my second one uh i i didn't like the line um where laguerta was saying it's like you can't judge me. You're the one that's sleeping around. It's like you were in here too. Like so, you're not innocent. I, I just hated that line so bad. No, but she's right. That's the point. Is like <laughs> she's having she's having an affair with this guy, but she's not. She's not in a relationship. He's the one ruining the relationship. One. Yeah, despite her her motives. She's still, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with Dale. Like, she has intentions, but it, she's not the one that's doing what he's doing. She doesn't really have loyalty to Pascal, whereas he should have been loyal to her in the first place. Right. Fair enough. 
I just don't like it. <laughs> and it's been going on, like, since the end of last season, so... Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I, think, I think it's cool. Like, I think it's an interesting that they show how she just sort of shuts down at the end of that. It's like, and this is over. Like... Yeah. I got my job back. You got one last ride. Now we're done. Bye bye. I had zero investment in this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, performance of the episode. Besides Lila's art, <laughs> I actually had Laguerta because I thought she did a great job of being crafty and sly until the reveal. And uh, I don't know, you know, sometimes she just doesn't get enough credit. Yeah, like I said at the top, if anything interesting happened in this episode, it was that. Like, that was the big moment yeah. of the episode. Yeah, so I'm giving it to her. Yeah, that was also my choice, just because she had the most to do in this episode. There wasn't a lot to do in this episode. Um, she she did the, you know, the heavy lifting in this episode. Because Rita's mom's not there. Right. But though I guess Deb found that guy at the gym, so maybe he could do some heavy lifting, but he didn't. I actually... Or did he? I actually thought Big the time. performance... Uh, Big time. That Curtis Barnes, the the guy from Dokes' case, sure. I thought he did a great job. Curtis blown away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a day player, he definitely had a substantial impact on the episode. So, yeah, that's about it. Um, any other thoughts on this one, guys? Um, <laughs> glad that hot dog stands back open. <laughs> and that'll do it for <laughs> Season 2, Episode 4 of Deeply Discussing Baxter. Uh, thanks, you guys, for helping me uh, put the show together. Thanks, everyone out there for